0: Even if we could somehow convince the world or the U.S. government to adopt a gold standard, there's not really anything stopping them from claiming it's an emergency and that we just need to drop the gold standard and temporarily close the gold window. In this way, Bitcoin provides stronger assurances about our money than gold ever could. The Best in Bitcoin Made Audible I am Guy Swan and this is Bitcoin Audible. What is up guys, welcome back to the show. This is Bitcoin Audible and we have got a great one. From Bitcoin Magazine today, this one is by Stefan Levera, and I am your narrator for today's read, Guy Swan, the guy who has read more about Bitcoin than anybody else you know. And we're on the topic again. Uh, uh, We read recently Dr. Wolf's piece on Bitcoin as our best shot at liberty. He wrote a piece very recently, Stefan Levera did, uh, why libertarians should prioritize the Bitcoin strategy above all others. And this is a really good, quick, kind of like a few-step breakdown, so to speak, of why essentially libertarianism without the Bitcoin uh, totem is kind of a lost cause. And he doesn't quite put it like that. That's kind of my interpretation or my opinion around it. Um, But, you know, he makes a decent case that it's not a very good idea to ignore Bitcoin as a libertarian. As someone trying to enact libertarian principles in the world. And we will get into that in just a moment. But really quick, let's thank our amazing sponsors the Fold card for Sats Back on Everything in Life. You got the Fold premium debit card, it is a must have for the Sats life hack. And then Swan Bitcoin is the other obvious thing that every Bitcoiner needs automatic purchases. I get every single week I'm buying more Bitcoin. I did not miss the dip. Then get yourself a Bitbox hardware wallet to keep all of those precious sats safe. Simple and secure is best. And then you got to come hang out at Bitcoin 2022, the most epic Bitcoin conference in the world. Code GuySwan gets you 10% off those tickets and they're about to go up. So snag it ASAP. And with that, let's go ahead. Let's get into today's read. And it is titled Why Libertarians Should Prioritize the Bitcoin Strategy Above All Others Bitcoin Offers Libertarians the Perfect Vehicle for Starving the State of Its Outsized Control Over Personal Freedoms By Stefan Levera Libertarians Should Prioritize the Bitcoin Strategy Above All Others Libertarians generally believe in the non-aggression principle, meaning that it is wrong to initiate aggression against someone else's person or justly acquired private property. What does Bitcoin have to do with the non-aggression principle? The chief violator of the non-aggression principle, or NAP, is the state. And the chief reason the state is so large and so powerful is that it has access to cheap Debt. Bitcoin fixes this. Let's explore. Why the state is so large. If you have been forced into some form of lockdown, restriction, travel ban, mask-wearing, jab-taking compliance over the last two years of Hysteria 19, it is obvious that states around the world have become extremely powerful. As Robert Higgs outlined in his classic crisis, and leviathan, the state expands dramatically during crises, but it doesn't necessarily, quote, give all the freedoms back after the crises. We've notably seen this ratchet effect with 9-11 and the Patriot Act, which forever changed travel and various other freedoms that we used to have. But what use is the desire for a state to expand its remit and reach without the funding for such an endeavor. In a more honest system, the state and its politicians would have to explicitly tax the population, which is not so popular. The modern-day fiat fractional reserve system enables cheap debt funding of bureaucracy and governmental enforcement of the Papers, Please mindset. What do you think will happen if Bitcoin's number-go-up technology kept operating and fiat money kept devaluing? Government bureaucrats and thugs would experience reduction in their purchasing power, and it would effectively act as a right-sizing of government. Not every libertarian is an anarcho-capitalist. Fine, but even still, it's mostly true to say that you want a smaller-sized state than what we have today. Starving the beast is the only way to enforce some accountability here. Governments and complicit media have grown too large, too powerful, too influential, and they have made the population weak and scared over time. Even if you don't believe that Rothbardian anarcho-capitalism is the way, Most libertarians would be happier if the state was smaller. So why not push for adoption of the technology that will do precisely this? Present libertarian strategies have not been successful. Trying to win at the ballot box has not been a fruitful strategy for most libertarians worldwide. The population simply does not understand the issues of socialism and statism, and they will gladly vote for more government-sponsored redistribution if the cost artificially appears to be low enough. How many times have you genuinely seen libertarian directions being pursued politically and winning as a political strategy? Other than the Ron Paul U.S. presidential campaigns of 2008 and 2012, I have barely seen it. And being fair, those campaigns were not a win politically they were more of a win in supporting and engaging new ranks of libertarians into the movement. Even if we could somehow convince the world or the U.S. government to adopt a gold standard, there's not really anything stopping them from claiming it's an emergency and that we need to drop the gold standard and temporarily close the gold window. In this way, Bitcoin provides stronger assurances about our money than gold ever could. When you run a Bitcoin node, it checks all of the rules of the system, and it is a more decentralized form of validation and enforcement of the rules. We're less reliant on government and big banks or big gold vaults to defend the integrity of the system. Think of it like Bitcoin is less corruptible than fiat money or the gold standard. Well, what's the alternative? Titus Gable outlined the idea of free private cities on my show, episode 161 of Stefan Levera podcast. Imagine an opt-in city where you pay a subscription fee up front with the rules set up front as well. The state or public services in this instance would be far smaller than the current governments of the world. And there would be more competitive pressure between Bitcoin citadels or free private cities to ensure inhabitants are getting a good deal. Alternatively, there are efforts in the direction of seasteading. Others like agorism-style strategies, and in this case, Bitcoin can obviously play a role in being able to support the private entrepreneur. There might even be something to the idea of a Bitcoin and libertarian policies advocacy, but it doesn't work without Bitcoin as an important part of the mix. Without Bitcoin's monetization continuing apace, there will be little incentive for politicians and political parties to support liberty-friendly policies. But in a world where Bitcoin is rapidly rising and job opportunities are present in the industry, politicians like Texas Governor Greg Abbott will come out in support of the idea that Texas should be a competitive state for Bitcoin. How do we execute this? Stack sats and build alternatives to statism. This means that you should set up your automated sat stacking plan, whether that's with Swan Bitcoin or whoever else. Or if automated sat stacking isn't your thing, you can earn Bitcoin by selling your goods and services for sats, or you can mine it too. Buying non-KYC coins is another way to do it too, either by meeting people at Bitcoin events, meetups, conferences, or using platforms like BISC or HODL. The point is to enact regular and steady accumulation of Bitcoin and HODL as much of it as you can to restrict the supply. In doing so, you are speeding up the process of hyper-Bitcoinization. The monetization of Bitcoin, the non-state free market money. When you don't like the current options, you have to go build something that makes it better. This is what Satoshi did. Bitcoiners follow this example, and if you're a libertarian, you should too. This is a guest post by Stefan Levera. Opinions expressed are entirely their own and do not necessarily reflect those of Bitcoin, BTC Incorporated or Bitcoin Magazine. <laughs> Alright, let's take a quick break for our sponsor, and then I want to guys take on this piece. And it is time to talk about Fold. That's right, so I got a few peeps who hit me up. They finally took the dive, and they folded their life. They have got the Spin Plus Premium Debit Card from Fold that gets you sats back on literally all of your purchases. And to get an idea of what that feels like to get sats back on everything. So I've been ripping apart my crawl space because we are converting it into a basement and work is about to start on it. I pulled out loads of stuff. We moved tons of it to storage, but then we gathered a rather massive pile of just trash, just stuff to get rid of in the driveway. My county doesn't take construction trash, so i called some specialists they came over cleaned up all my crap paid for it right there spun the wheel got eight dollars back on my first spin i even saved up like a bunch of respins for this and then i played the ar like metaverse thing that they've got in it in the empty spot in my driveway and just got another 48 sats with the debit card you get one percent back on all purchases with a chance to win up to 100% back and even a whole freaking Bitcoin. Get that shit today with 20% off using the name of the greatest podcast on earth, Bitcoin Audible. Type that crap into the checkout, you get 20% off, no joke, stick it in your brain, keep it there, and let's get back to the show. You know, it's so hard, I really appreciate Stefan, uh, for uh putting this article together. This is um very much in line with what we read by Dr. Wolf recently. It's titled Our Best Shot at Liberty. Um, and that's a that's a really good one. And I'm I love that kind of at least this is being talked about more because I've said over and over on this show that I felt like the libertarian movement is one of the biggest missed opportunities. And I think part of it might actually have to do with the fact that most libertarians think they understand the major problems with government, and and yet the money has never really But there's still so much shallow discussion, or at least that's what I think of it as, um, shallow discussion of the problems with government rather than the really deep fundamental seeds of the problem with government outside of the principled ideology, like the the non-aggression principle, which uh Stefan Levera talks about here. Like, from a principled standpoint, the seeds of how a government comes about and the problems that are caused uh as a consequence of that, I feel like are very well understood from a philosophical perspective. Or at least they're most they're they're heavily talked about and very much out in the open, despite the fact obviously libertarians disagree on crap all the time. It's kind of obnoxious. Uh a lot like Bitcoiners really. <laughs> But still, even in the libertarian community, I feel like the understanding, the level of understanding about how the monetary system that we have contributes to so much government power is still poorly understood. And when you go into, like, leave that even, like, go to, like, the normie side of things any sort of claim that bitcoin is somehow an important tool in the arsenal against overreaches of government the the even if it's like slightly understood that there's like oh there's like kind of control in the banking system or whatever and you're like not quite in it the magnitude and the importance of bitcoin as that tool is not even remotely understood and the most powerful reason that it is, is the monetary policy is the challenge of the monetary policy and the ability to exit, to walk out of the government monetary policy and the monetary value system. To remove your value from the contribution to it. The, the understanding of how important that is, of how critical that is. I think it is lost even on most libertarians and it is completely, completely lost on the majority of people. There is just no foundation for how to understand why our monetary system is the greatest power of government. And think about it. When there are no budget constraints that will actually implode the government, Like, like a failed business that has no remaining capital, when it is impossible for the government to write a check that bounces, when the money itself is the authority to write a blank check, to write on the check and have it become money into existence, then there is no way to constrain government's goals. And the people who succeed in government, the people who end up in charge, the people who end up running all of the major parts and gears of the system are the ones who promise the most. That's it. Like, when there's no restraint on the amount of capital that can be allocated by an institution then the people who succeed are the ones who grow it that's it and grow it in the sense that they just care less about not wasting capital and when none of this needs actual taxation direct theft well then it's invisible to the people they feel it but they have no idea where it's coming from It's like slowly poisoning the air and everybody gets sick, but they have absolutely no understanding of why or how this is occurring. It just, everything just starts to suck more and you get depressed and your body wears out and you're coughing, but you don't know where it's coming from. In fact, the only thing that does appear to be a problem is that capitalism isn't working because you're watching inequality get worse thanks to, thanks to the cantillon effect but again it's like that poison in the air it's invisible it's uh, it's um it's iocane powder from you know the princess bride like you can't see it you can't smell it but it's always there it's pervasive so the people don't see the apparent cost to them and even more so is that they can see the nominal value increase of some of their goods or of of their house or of stocks or whatever, and actually think they're succeeding, even though life is getting harder or at least not moving forward. You're barely being able to sell your grossly profitable house to get the same size house. you, you, you know you didn't actually grow in wealth. You just have more numbers, you, you know you just have more tokens that seem to not correspond with what you can get out of the real world. It's like there's just a whole section of civilization that's slowly getting poor and doesn't understand why. And this becomes useful for the political elite. And even if it's not strictly the fact that it's useful, they might just be dumb, you know? Like, being able to promise the most to succeed in government might make you just a really dumb person. And if you're not incompetent, you're probably corrupt. You're probably just good at lying and getting the support of the corporate interests that you want to make sure get about 80% of the bill that you're going to enact while, you know, add a little bit to food stamps and health care just so that you can say you're doing it for the children. But none of it is taxed. It's all hidden. So when everything starts to go bad, when life gets harder, they can just blame it on the fact that they're not running things. Oh, this is the evil free market doing this to you. And how easy is it to do if you don't even understand that money is the most critical thing in a free market? Well, then how and you don't understand that you're being taxed heavily and your standard of living is being ripped out from underneath you and that the Cantillon effect that's making the rich richer and the poor poorer is being caused directly by the government. Then how the hell are you going to identify the subtle complexities that have actually removed the free market from the environment, especially when everybody else can everybody can go out and get their job and sell what they want. Looks like everything's great, but the core underlying economic incentives that make everything work have been destroyed. They've been completely obliterated. When you monopolize the money, when you make money a political tool, nothing goes uncorrupted. Money is the center of all. Economic measurement, activity, weight, uh, comparison, everything that we do, all of the economic decisions we make, rely on a tool of measurement. If you fuck with that tool, none of the measurements are right. None of them are free market numbers. None of it's real. It all ends up telling you more about the political class and what the government is doing than the actual economy. And they just passed, you know, the government right now, Congress just passed like a, what, a $1.5 trillion, another $1.5 trillion bill, an infrastructure bill. Literally imagine if the government treasury only had like $120 billion in it and they just couldn't pay for most of that bill. Like they just ran out of money because they literally do not have the capacity the authority to print it. That is the possibility of a Bitcoin world. And everybody who invests a little bit more in Bitcoin is taking away the purchasing power to do exactly that. They may not be removing themselves from direct taxation, but they are securing themselves from the means of taxation that is the dominant force of spending for the government. Inflation, the manipulation of the money supply, exit yourself from that and you've cut off the most important tool for the government to be able to fund what it seeks to fund. And even better, when you're talking about Bitcoin as the base money is that it's a, the ability to verify it The ability to secure and know that you have real Bitcoin as opposed to paper Bitcoin or a Bitcoin derivative is so easy. And at such such an individual level that gold can't even come close to comparing in the integrity that the individual person can get in knowing or checking that the government apparatus cannot expand past its available monetary supply. I mean, how many years or even decades did it did it take for the price to adjust for it to basically become known or exposed in the market that the government had issued too many gold receipts? Because everybody only used gold receipts. The ease, well, it wasn't an ease, it was the extreme difficulty of at scale verifying and withdrawing the the relevant or the a meaningful amount of gold to put a restriction on government expenditures was it was just huge it was it was enormous in fact it simply didn't happen it wasn't even possible because as soon as anyone attempted it the government just confiscated all the gold storage which was like you know four or five major banks is where almost all of it was done and there's no way to get around that because gold is heavy Gold is something that's extremely difficult to use from day to day and you obviously can't use it on the internet. You have to use a derivative. That's it. Period. No other options exist. You must have a trusted third party. Gold is simply too centralized for the modern age. It is not centralized in production. The natural world provides incredibly good decentralized production and verification of gold. But that verification is extremely costly at the individual level, and the storage of it is extremely centralized because you cannot move it in the digital age. You have to have a derivative, you have to have a trusted party that, quote unquote, verifies it for you, or coins it, or turns it into a gold token online in your wallet. And then you can send that around. You can send that derivative of, big, of, uh, of gold around. There's zero way in this day and age for gold to be that restriction on government. And we know that because we've watched it fail for a hundred years. We've seen that story. We know the consequences. We know exactly how and why it won't work because it keeps happening over and over and over again when we keep trying to instantiate gold is some sort of check on the monetary supply it's over let it go it's not going to happen but bitcoin is a revolution in this context because you can take it anywhere and it's invisible it's invisible it's weightless you can store it in your brain you can verify it on practically any computer that you can get your get a hold of you can verify it on a Raspberry Pi, which is a $40 machine. And not just you can verify yours, not just that you can send $100 billion to that little device and know with certainty that it is real Bitcoin, no derivative, no government promise, no nothing. It's real Bitcoin. Not only can you do that, but you are also verifying and defending the entire system's monetary policy, everybody's Bitcoin on the planet is being verified and every transaction and every signature from the very first block up to the very second that you are using it is completely 100% verified. How do you cheat that system? The more value that moves into that the more that we devote our value and what we earn into that system as opposed to the dollar or the fiat system the less dominion central banks and governments have over our purchasing power yes they can try to confiscate directly yes they can still try to tax individually every single person but that is hard That is hard. It makes people angry. It is uncomfortable and difficult for them. They lose support. They make people pissed. They feel, the the people and the citizens of the country feel the cost. They see it every time they make a purchase. They see it every tax season and it has an effect on how they treat and think about the government. It shatters the wall of ignorance around the fact that the government is the one burdening society with this massive unseen cost. It makes it visible. And think about trying to win a political fight when people cannot see the costs. When it appears as if government can do anything with any amount of money and it doesn't cost anything, how in the hell are you going to win a political strategy on principles and frugality? Of course, Stefan talked, he had the whole section about this. The political strategy, the ballot box has not been a good strategy for libertarians. Of course not. Of course not. Libertarians are just the assholes who want to take all this great stuff away that we get for free when we vote for bigger government. And when you tell those stupid libertarians that look it's for free, all we have to do is just give the money to the people and it doesn't cost anything. They come up with some really long explanation that I have to like listen to and it's hard. It's not just this easy thing that I want to hear. So I'm just going to tell that person to shut up and they're stupid. And you know, as a libertarian as a, you know, I think Stefan's right. I think, you know, Dave Smith talks about this a lot. I mean, everybody, the libertarian community knows that Ron Paul has essentially been one of the most successful libertarian campaigns in the last 100, 150 years probably. Why do you think that is? It happened in 2008 and 2012. It's because the cost became visible. If you had to ask me for a thesis on why it was that Ron Paul succeeded in the political or the social movement when he did, rather than the 30 years or 40 years he was in Congress before that, spreading the exact same message, was that 2008 was when it became clear that there was a cost. It still wasn't exactly crystal on where it was coming from or why it was happening, but you could see it. You saw the bailouts. You saw the money printing. You felt the pain. You saw your house get foreclosed on. How could this happen? And here comes Ron Paul talking about the Fed with the same message he's had for God knows how many decades. I think the success of Ron Paul was the beginnings of the exposure of the cost of the political system. The fog just began to clear a little bit On where the damage was coming from. Or maybe, maybe more what the cost of all of this really was. Now imagine that fog is just gone. Just completely gone. This, I think, is the potential of a Bitcoin standard. And it happens to the degree that it is adopted. Like the more like, like even even tiny incremental adoptions like continuous growth in the purchasing power and the relevance of Bitcoin has a continuous restriction or impact on the ability of government to print money on their purchasing power. So essentially a half completed hyper Bitcoinization has the effect of diminishing half of the government's capacity to expand without seeming consequence. So as we move in that direction, as the trend moves toward more wealth behind Bitcoin, the effect of constraining the government's expansion gets stronger as the Bitcoin system gains more wealth and as Bitcoin subsequently becomes more secure because it gained more wealth. Now, a Bitcoin standard does not mean the end of taxation. doesn't mean the end of government, at least not necessarily. But where it matters in a major way, I think, is threefold. First, it completely collapses the illusion that the government has an infinite amount of money and that there is no cost for anything that they do. Two, it creates a massive increase in the cost of confiscation at scale, it makes taxation direct again. And then three, it creates a massive decrease to any and all restrictions on moving capital. And those three things combined will create an incredible restriction on the powers of government. They are three fundamentally important elements to government power that are undermined. The ability to hide the cost the ease of confiscating capital and the ability to restrict its movement. If you can permanently alter the dynamics of those three things, you have permanently altered the capacity and the power of all government institutions because they all run on capital. A government's purchasing power is its ability to command armies to enforce its regulations, to enforce laws. It is its ability to deploy violence. It is the ability to take wealth. Purchasing power is everything. And all citizens have to work their butts off for tiny amounts of purchasing power while the government has a default account of infinity. There is zero way to keep that system in check while that power dynamic exists. Impossible. It's impossible. And you know, it's funny too, because this is something that is in The Sovereign Individual. uh, In that book, Their, their thesis really is the idea that the balance in the cost between stealing capital and defending capital, the cost of violent action against another person, is essentially the dynamic that determines whether or not it can scale. Whether or not violent gangs and government institutions can actually exist and sustain themselves. So when you're looking at a technology that fundamentally changes both the cost it takes to steal capital and while at the same time lowering the cost of defending that capital, you've changed how a violent system can scale but i think it's important to consider how little that difference could be to have a outsized effect like this is the butterfly effect right or the the compounding effect if there's a small feedback loop that enables more wealth per unit of violence so let's take like just a dirt simple example if if it takes one unit cost of violence to get one get on average 1.1 units of wealth then there's no point where more violence isn't profitable to you if it's very hard for people to defend themselves if the capital is locked in and therefore you're basically guaranteed to confiscate it or you know you can enact control over it that's why the sovereign individual talks about how the agricultural revolution was actually enabled the you know violent gangs and governments and uh, these institutions to arise is because our capital became locked to the earth. It's a whole lot easier to keep track of and rule over if you know they can't take it with them. I can't take my house with me. But even more important is to consider the feedback loop of that violence. That, as you add another unit cost of violence onto it, do you get more wealth? Does the marginal utility of your uh, of that payout get greater or less? And it seems pretty obvious that violence at scale gets greater and greater. In fact, the larger the institution gets, the more intimidating they are. The more seemingly inevitable they appear to be. So the fewer units of violence it actually takes to obtain all of the capital. And then when you're big enough to the point that you're dominating society and you can command the definition of capital completely, then there's no stopping you can because you can command as much violence as you want. But when you're growing from the scale of violence against one person or dominion over one person to two people to ten people and then up to a million, you know, maybe when you get to a million, it actually only takes you a hundred units of direct violence to get a million units of capital because – The size that the institution of violence has become makes it that much more intimidating because the first and second and third person you robbed were profitable. Not very profitable. It's very high cost. And it could come with a lot of risk because you might not succeed when robbing from one person or two people. But the bigger you are, the easier it is to rob people, the easier it is to use violence to control people. But that return could effectively come from just a small initial difference in the cost imbalances. But now imagine where the average return on one unit cost of violence is just 0.9 units of capital. And the marginal utility decreases rather than increases with scale. And at no point during any potential growth of this system of control or this system of violence does it get dominion over money itself money the wealth itself is separate from this institution so the ultimate payout at the end of the road of someone finally or a violent institution finally becoming the government isn't there the pot at the end of the rainbow doesn't exist for them because money and purchasing power have been separated from the institution It is independent. It is Bitcoin. And the government now needs to confiscate the Bitcoin rather than dictating wealth out of thin air. Now, is Bitcoin that significant of a difference in that dynamic? Does the average unit of violence pay out negative in terms of Bitcoin confiscation? Does the ease with which you can move Bitcoin make the ability to establish monopolistic control over capital within some geographic area incredibly difficult under a Bitcoin standard? And in fact, does it make it so difficult that they actually must be nice to their citizens and their entrepreneurs because they stand the risk of watching 10% of their GDP walk out of the country in people's brains in under a year for pissing off the wrong businesses and having no explicit, obvious way to stop them without just putting up walls everywhere, becoming vicious totalitarians and micro-tripping everybody in the country, which runs the risk of even worse capital flight if it doesn't work. It's like if they don't get total control, they're screwed. Now, maybe that doesn't happen... Fully, maybe it doesn't make that feedback negative which would be the goal but it absolutely changes it no matter what way you turn it separating government from the state and giving the individual the ability to verify the money supply and hold an essentially limitless amount of wealth invisibly in their head is the most significant change in the cost of stealing capital, the cost of deploying violence in order to obtain purchasing power and the decrease in the cost of defending that capital at an individual level that we have potentially seen in centuries, maybe even millennia. A libertarian that does not take advantage of that or at least explore it is basically shooting themselves in the foot. And I haven't listened to Stefan Lavera's, uh podcast episode uh, 161 with Titus, um, Titus Gable. And uh, I do want to listen to it. And I love the idea of free private cities, of seasteading, and this, essentially this balkanization of society. And I think that dynamic that we just talked about is something that leads to exactly that sort of thing. The breakdown of the scale at which violence can be properly enacted or uh, profitably um, executed I guess you could say and it makes the the institutions that run what we think of as governments, the service providers of societal infrastructure so to speak and societal rules highly responsive to the capital that can easily enter or exit or defend itself from a set of rules that are abused or corrupted or um, treated frivolously and I just think a, a an attempt or a push to move to a libertarian future without Bitcoin is hopeless it is, well it's not hopeless but it needs a monetary solution because any sort of solution or, or quest for a libertarian society must solve the problem of governments commanding purchasing power. If you don't separate money from the government or you don't figure out some mechanism by which the government doesn't have a blank check there's zero way to restrict their power because before you figure out how to restrict their blank check they can write a blank check and get all the police to round you up and shut your mouths or pump out a trillion dollars worth of propaganda to call you a fool or a liar or an extremist it's not just the power of enforcement it's the power to control the culture the 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 narrative the illusion and i love I, like i said uh, stefan said something along these lines uh, and there's towards the bottom here one second i think this is kind of it maybe it's said again now this is it this is it so it says quote there might even be something to the idea of a bitcoin and libertarian policies advocacy but it doesn't work without bitcoin as an important part of the mix. And I think that's right. I don't think there is any libertarian solution that can succeed without the solution that Bitcoin provides at its core. And I don't see an alternative to Bitcoin for solving exactly that problem. And I think it's the most fundamental problem of the payoff of violence and the ability to defend and verify monetary wealth to remove that power from the from the hand of the state and even now i'm still just shocked to the degree that libertarians have not jumped on this i know they have in you know like libertarians are probably the most uh tapped into demographic I, I suspect that the highest degree of any, any like kind of political demographic or whatever obviously is libertarians that have adopted Bitcoin. But it still seems that so much of the libertarian community is still kind of at arm's length. They're still just kind of like, you know, they've just got a toe over, over there in Bitcoin. But there's still, still just votes and politics and commentary and, and the culture and all of these things which I think are downstream. The money is more important. I think we should hedge on the money. We should, we should make the money the totem of the goal. And it can actually bridge politics. It can bridge cultures. Rather than basically talking about all the things that are really hard to share and really hard to reach agreement on, find the one totem that is the most powerful thing for the libertarian argument and for defending libertarian principles and institutions while not causing unnecessary uh, conflict with other cultures and other demographics. That is Bitcoin. That is Bitcoin. And I think it's our best opportunity. I think it's an opportunity that just uh, damn near is a miracle in the context of history. And we've never had this kind of opportunity before. And holy crap, should we grab it and do everything we possibly can to make it succeed and i guess we'll stop there um huge thank you to stefan lavera if you don't listen to his show um awesome bitcoin podcast just stefan lavera show um and uh i'll have the link to 161 where he has titus on uh talking about free private cities so don't forget to check that out i'll have the link to the article as well um, that was on Bitcoin Magazine a huge thank you to Bitcoin Magazine always for having such incredible stuff I've got a backlog of like 30 things I need to read from them right now and uh, to close this out a thank you to our amazing sponsors to to Fold and the Fold Card um, for giving me sats back on my ridiculous basement project um, for Swan Bitcoin for being there to stack on the dip man I have bought some hella Bitcoin this week It's been crazy. Uh, To Bitcoin 2022, don't forget to get your tickets. The price actually goes up in 48 hours. You want to be there. um, I'm speaking. I'm very excited about this. Code Swan gets you 10% off your tickets. And lastly, the BitBox, where you want to keep all of those precious sats safe. Thank you all so much for listening. Fix the money. Fix the world. This is Bitcoin Audible. I am Guy Swan. Until next time, everybody, take it easy, guys. You have been listening to Bitcoin Audible, a 111 production.